The views expressed in our episode are ours alone and do not represent any other organizations. Our episodes discuss internet crimes against children and cases that involve the exploitation of children and may not be suitable for all audiences. Listener discretion is advised. Yeah, we don't want to do anything to scare your children. That's the last thing we want to do. We don't want to scare anybody. Welcome back, everyone. This is Brandon Poor with Catfish Cops. And I am Tony Godwin. And we are back at day two of the Crimes Against Children Conference, and we're sitting with John Schneemilch. Did I get it? You got it. I got it. You got it. And John is retired, um, but if you, you'll hear in a moment, uh, you'll hear where he's from. You can tell he's told he's got a touch of an accent, maybe. But <laughs> that's, a, that's a, a rumor. A <laughs> he says we've got the accent exactly but john it is a great privilege to sit and talk with you i'm gonna let you speak about um just introduce yourself talk about your career um now you're retired so maybe you can talk a little bit about how long you've been in law enforcement and things like that um and then we'll kind of sit and discuss uh why you already our listeners may know john um or at least you know his work quite well um, in a in a pretty um, well known case that we've talked about. So tell us about yourself, John. About myself, well, I uh, I joined the South Australian Police Department way back back uh, a while ago in uh, <laughs> an, a few decades even ago. Nineteen seventy seven. Wow, was when I joined a while ago. Uh, that, yeah, just a little while. Ago. A I little don't want to say I wasn't born yet, but I wasn't born yet. <laughs> I was, but uh, oh, it's good that someone was. <laughs> so yes, yeah, just but just you a were few like years ago, two years old, right? Yeah, I wish. Yeah, no, uh, a young, very fresh-faced seventeen-year-old um, walking into the police academy at, in nineteen seventy-seven. Wow, uh, seventy-eight. Wow. So, um, and where was that? Where did uh, you join? I joined in Adelaide and okay. South Australia. So, yeah. um, uh, which is something that I need to get used to here. Is you know, we, we have. Um, state police forces, so we've got one police force for our whole state. Yeah. So oh wow. Yeah. Okay. We've got so, thousands for that, each yeah. local, state, area, and federal. You know, is all separate, and so you have federal and state. We do have federal and state, but okay. each state has their own um, police force, and um, uh, they carry out. So there's the no little of duties each state, and there's no like little local police departments in each little city. Then your state. Police state, handle everything. State-based, and we just have first uh, handle um, everything. You know, metropolitan and regional uh, police stations. Very uh, interesting and areas and divisions. Wow. So, so, what did you do first when you joined? Like, are you on patrol, or what is your what is your primary role when you uh, joined? Oh, when I uh, when my when I. Left the academy after they decided that uh, they had enough training after 21 months. <laughs> 21 months? It was a two-year course back then. Holy uh, and moly. They just, just changed it from three years back to two years then. Wow. So, so oh, wow. Was, That's because I'm guessing you came in at a younger age, like 17 or 18? Straight from school. Wow. Yeah. Interesting. Um, so we do uh, a fairly extensive uh, course. But once, once you graduated from the academy, you generally went to uniform patrols. Okay. Um, and the majority would be in metropolitan uh, Adelaide 
Wow. So, so for our non-Australian residents, they might be wondering, especially our U.S. base, they know what it's like here. and But they might be wondering, what is it like to be a police officer on uniform patrol in South Australia? What are, what kind of things are you responding to? The normal, I'm sure, domestics and you know theft reports and things like that. But what are some of the things that you typically do on a uniform patrol at any given time? Uh, we, we were responsible for, for traffic traffic policing um uh, responding to domestic violence and uh, you know house break-ins and right. and any any really raft of crimes that came up we, we were the initial responders to to all of that but when we weren't responding to those things we were expected to be proactive yeah. all the normal stuff that police do see so what i'm getting at is policing is kind of the same all over the place isn't it <laughs> yeah it's yeah very much the same it just might yeah. have some different parts and pieces to it you know, right. depending on where you are what yeah. kind of shifts like uh 8 hour shifts 10 hour shifts 12s we've always we've always been pretty well stuck in the 8 hour shift oh okay uh, mode and it's been even in today's uh, arena there's been different times where there's been some uh, right. push to change that and there are some areas now in in uh, policing that do do uh, longer shifts, okay, and and they're still you know working out introducing right. that along the way, but uh, it's still predominantly eight hour based. How long did it take until you kind of went into the investigation field of of policing, the the only doing criminal investigations? Um, I, I really my career sort of spent two halves I suppose if you look at it that way the first half of my career 19 years I spent in uniform so oh wow I um, worked in uh, metropolitan and um, country rural areas in that in that time so uh, that was pr- sort of the first half of my career right the second half of my career was uh, in the criminal investigation branch yeah interesting so yeah. let me ask you when you go through that long process and you're out and your uniform services and you're working are because you're with the state police that cover the whole country, can they send you anywhere or do you primarily stay where you, do you get to pick where you want to go or you're subject to go to the other side, uh, <laughs> so to speak? Uh, a bit, a bit of both. He really? smiles um, knowingly. Bit, yeah, yeah, I smile knowingly because at one stage I did get sent oh, really? somewhere. Uh, not, not necessarily a place I wanted to go to, <laughs> so, but yeah, I, I got voluntold instead of volunteered. Yeah, I got told I had to go. Yeah, uh, um, that that process doesn't necessarily happen so much anymore. Right. But back in the mid '80s, it certainly did. And if there was difficult areas in the state to get um, people to um, volunteer to go to, right. uh, they would send people. So, <laughs> right. Wow. Uh, so I was sent um, to well, the centre part of our state or the northern part of our state for really? for. Um, um, a couple of years to so that's to a, work. uproot the whole family and everything and, uh, and go well, back, or? Then, back then in the mid 80s I was a, a single oh. fellow so <laughs> easier um, to do that it's easier way, to right? do yeah, so, yeah, yeah for they, sure. they tended to do that more to, to the people, people that were single that yeah than they did to uh, to uh, the, the married, married and so 19 and years in uniform was that uh like you just enjoyed the job that much or I, I just know from a long career for someone you know on our side we've both been in a long time i you get tired of the blue suit after a while <laughs> you know and all the stuff but look I, I had a fantastic time in in uniform and I, I must admit i thought at some stage i'd probably end up back in, really? in uniform and wow and probably would have been in the you know criminal investigation branch for in clb for oh, i don't know five six seven eight years and then right and then transition back to uniform but 
Yeah. Um, once once I moved over, and then I'd ultimately end up working in the homicide. Yeah. Um, area. Um, I certainly had no no desire to go, to go back, back to, to yeah. go back to uniform, but I, I really loved my time in uniform. Right. I had a great, a great but time. you know, I would assume, it, uh, out of fairness, police work back then is a lot different than police work today. Maybe, or, or it is here in the U.S. I'm not sure how it was or is there. Uh, no, it's certainly changed over time. I was talking to someone last night. Obviously, yeah. talk about you know what was it like back when you joined, right? And I said, well, you've got to imagine manual typewriters, right? Um, <laughs> right. No, com- no paper computers, reports, <laughs> no computers, um, right. carbon paper, and those sorts of things. So that, that's yeah. what the changes have been over, right? Yeah, you know, right. over if you imagine the change over time. So. Now you mentioned, I mean, homicide. That's kind of where you went into specialized criminal investigation, right? You you actually spent time working homicides and that was sort of your area of expertise but that's where that's where i ultimately ended up back in well 2000 and from 2001 can you talk about how you got there i mean and i would say probably venture a guess that it makes it harder for upper admin to send you back to a uniform patrol once you have all of this experience and training and expertise in something like homicide where they need someone that knows what they're doing yeah. look the fir- the first step is is to to actually get to the CIB, to the Criminal Investigation Program, that's, that's the first step. So there was, you know, courses and applications and and right. uh, testing that you had, you had to undergo to, to be able to get in, get Oh, so you had step. to do all that prior to, to being do, accepted? Had to do that first oh. step. So um, most of us had a, a few goes at, at getting yeah. through all that, that whole process. Right. Uh, and then if you did get through, you know, inter- you had interviews and all, and, you know, sure. a whole raft of things before you were even accepted into the... Um, and then CLB. you start in probably, and then you start at one of the divisional, um, yeah, uh, CLB branches. So, like low levelers, low level stuff, thefts and criminal mischiefs. Yeah, it's and general, uh, well, you know, burglaries and robberies and mm-hmm. house breaks and you know the volume, volume, mm-hmm. um, yeah. criminal investigation stuff that uh, that you wouldn't expect patrols to be. So does be handling? Do they? Um, specialized? Do you have certain folks that just work burglaries? Certain folks that just work robberies? Certain folks that work. These kind of things, or is it kind of whatever comes our, in the our door? Our specialist areas are more um, around uh, domestic violence and okay. family orientated mm-hmm. um, offend, offending. So, okay. you know that that um, domestic violence, um, 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 child right. child offences, and those things. There's specialist family violence units that, gotcha. um, that yeah. uh, look after that. The rest of the the criminal investigation sphere, sure. apart from the specialist areas, of course, because there right. are specialist areas. Um, the volume crime is by suburban um, criminal did, investigation branches. Did you know you wanted to go into homicide, or was that something that you sort of just got put in or stumbled into and found that you liked, or how did you get into um, that? I, or certainly an area that that interested interested me, but there's there's a number of different specialist areas, and once again, you've got to apply to to okay. go to those, right? Um, but um, our system um, enabled people to be seconded from an area to go and work oh. in a specialist area if there was, a, you know, a, a crime in a particular – a homicide in a particular area. Right. Um, they would get some of those local detectives to come and work on that. Oh, um, that investigation. Yeah. Um, or if there was a um, high-profile um, murder that needed a large volume um, uh, investigation, large amount of staff. They would draw staff from all over 
Oh, really? Um, yeah. Uh, the city to to uh, work on that investigation. So my initial um, um, start in uh, major crime, which is called in South Australia, right. um, which is the homicide branch, uh, was being seconded there on a uh, on an investigation of a, a young Japanese girl that had gone missing. Oh, um, wow. Interesting. Oh, that's a... That's a big thing to be drawn into for the first time <laughs> it, it was because unfortunately she had been uh, murdered and oh, um right uh, and it took us you know, weeks to actually find find her body but wow. um uh, yeah it was an absolute eye put your feet to the fire right off the bat you're certainly led by the more senior senior detectives in in right. a, a specialized branch when you yeah. go there so we're, we're doing the people seconded there. You're doing the volume that volume work, <laughs> right? Uh, you're, you're doing the the tasks, and they're guiding you in how to do it. Oh, so yeah, to speak. They, they're out doing the work as well. But we're certain you certainly, yeah. you know, um, yeah. responsible for doing that volume work and getting out and getting contacting witnesses and getting statements and if wow. there's searches to be done. Well, our listeners might know um, one of your uh, cases, um, and they might think I don't know any Australian cases, but. We have talked about one of the cases that you worked on um, over a couple episodes because you were part of the investigation for the murder of Carly Ryan, correct? That's right. All right. Tell me um, what, I mean, if, and that's been a number of years, but what was, what was the first call out? What was your first, um, I guess, what was the first thing that, that led you guys to be involved in that case? How did you personally get into becoming the investigator in that so so our system works um probably similar to you know systems all over the world if you if you're on shift and you're working you're responsible to respond to to a homicide that's happened your team's yeah you know up for the next the next job so to speak right right um then um that's what happens so you know we we got um, an early morning call about carly's body being found um down at a beachside um, area in in South Australia, away from the city, uh, and uh, yeah, our, the team responded, and yeah. responded to that. Um, yeah, that's quite simplistic. I mean, yeah. We, yeah. we generally, you know, whoever's working responds, and then you know, gradually you'll filter down to the team or, or right. the group that are looking after the investigation. Well, I know you're presenting that case here at the conference or have presented that a couple times. I mean, you've presented it, I'm sure, a few times in your in your years. But I know that that's a very extensive, complicated, and, and quite um, large investigation. But boil down some of the highlights for us about what were the difficulties? What were some of the, the things that you guys found like, oh, my gosh, that, that was a key turning point or something that just that you remember as being, you know, what what were the important things in as you went? I know that, you know, a, a complex investigation like that might take hours to tell and probably has, but what are some of the things that our listeners, kind of knowing peripherally the story, you know, from an investigative standpoint, what did you see? Um, oh, look, the, the biggest difficulty right at the start of that was being able to identify who, who our victim was. Yeah. Um, you know, we've got the body of a young girl and, and we've got absolutely no idea um, who she is. And then we have to establish whether it is, is a homicide. So yeah. all, all that's happening on that first day um, and trying to get those answers before you can actually move forward and, 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 and start to see where it might head. Um, 
I mean, that happened over that right. that, that first day, and by by you know the evening, we started to have an idea of who who she, she might be. That it might be Carly. Right. Um, once Sonia filed a missing persons report, uh, and um, certainly by the next day, we we knew. Well, um, I, I have one kind of specific question, maybe that you could shed some light on, because I thought it was so impressive of how it manifested. I just kind of want to get an understanding from your side, like the whole scene itself of the beach. Um, and then the, the, I don't know if it was a transition or the, the recovery of the evidence from a, from a beach, which seems to me like to be the absolute most difficult thing on the planet that would have to be done. And how, oh, because we don't have beaches yeah, we nearby, don't have so we don't know how to work yeah. that crime scene at all. And so the, the dynamics of something like that, um, or is that just ingrained because you guys already have situations where maybe you've had other cases in that? And then, furthermore, I, if I'm correct me if I'm wrong, there was a a fairly extensive foot search down the highway or down the the passageway where additional items that had been tossed. Am were I right recovered. In, in remembering two kilometers worth of him throwing out evidence? Yeah, I'd, I'd, I don't know that it was two kilometres that he was okay. throwing it out. And, in right. fact, we I don't think we recovered everything that was thrown out, unfortunately. Right. right. Um, so there's two two parts to that. Right. First part, the beach. Um, whilst whilst it, it might be – it's odd that a beach might be unusual. It's not really. It's still a crime right. scene, and they all have their own little nuances. Sure. Yeah. You know, it could be – out, out in the bush somewhere or, you know, um, um, even in a, a large-scale building. So it, they've still right. got their nuances. You've just got to put your mind to what you have to deal with, the tide, the right. weather. Because um, well, uh, it started sand. raining on you, right? Yeah, we, we had we had rain and we, we were concerned that the tide was going to come up and wash evidence away. So you, you just got to turn your mind to those things and, and protect that area so that you can process it. And yeah, so probably. within within your um, state agency, do you have specific units like crime scene units or forensic teams that uh, come in for like recovery of stuff, or is that a responsibility that you, as the investigators, have to take? No, we've got a, we've got a uh, forensic response section, a, okay. cent- a centralised forensic response section, so crime scene section. Gotcha. Um, that, uh, they turn out to all uh, serious offences and homicides, and right. There's normally a fair few phone calls between our two officers if right. we get a phone call about something that's happening. Right. Yeah, uh, because if I remember right, wasn't there like the like the tip of a rubber glove or something was. was found? And I'm like, that is it is amazing that that might have been missed by some even. Well, you can imagine right. you can imagine how it could be. But um, uh, going back to that, we do have local crime scene. Oh, okay. Um, um, investigators in. In uh, based in areas, and there was one in that area at the, at the main police station, gotcha. not, not far from Port Elliot, where this homicide happened. And because of the weather, right. uh, you can't just get stuck in that pattern of oh, this this group has to do this. Yeah. So so that local crime scene person started processing that scene. Gotcha. Wow, um, that's so, amazing. I mean, they still train the same way, and sure. it's just a process that we have that right that 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 main area would do it, but you're not going to stop him stop that from happening if you're worried about losing evidence. Right. And was it Sonia that sort of directed you towards who ultimately was your suspect uh, or was it something that you found along the way in addition to that? Oh, it was it was a, com- a, a look a combination of a number of things. We had um, 
uh, a witness at the uh, down at Port Elliot that gave us a description of their vehicle and um, seeing two two men and a, a young woman yeah. uh, in the area where the uh, homicide happened. Um, Sonia obviously gave us as much information as she could could quite early on, including phone information, which ended up right. being quite pivotal yeah. um, for us to identify our um, um, offender. Uh, and yeah, things develop as, right. as you know the days go on while you're doing the investigation. Well, we wouldn't begin to think that we could boil down a case or investigation like that into you know a quick talk on a podcast. But yeah. certainly, you. I mean, the work that you it's and your team, it's not just you, but I know it's you did a lot of work and that it was a remarkable amount of, of complex investigative work. And, and ultimately you did come to find that Gary Newman was involved and, and was the, the primary defendant, I guess, in the case. Did you, um, did he talk to you at all or interview with your investigation? Um, oh, well, no, apart from, you know, saying that, Admitting that he knew Carly and uh, and really that was as far as he went. He he declined to make any any other any other comments. So, but he did say he knew her. Yeah. Oh wow. Okay. So I didn't even we didn't even get to talk about that. Because, yeah. No. You know, no one knows the investigation. That was you know. about all he ever really said. He knew her and and that his son was his son was friends with her. If I think it might be he might have added that that part in. Right. Uh, and but that was as as much as he ever said. What was the what if you know what is the extent of what he was doing online? Do you know like how far reaching and how many potential victims he could have even had? Um, I, I certainly don't. I certainly <laughs> don't know how many potential victims there were, but he, he uh, well, he he reached here, the US. Yeah, um, he travelled no. here, uh, and uh, I don't, and would I have don't remember here. that. That's I had no uh, idea yeah. that was the case. Wow. Wow. Uh, and uh, it, we certainly found contact with uh, someone in Singapore as well, and he, we know that he travelled there, and right. and uh, whoever he was trying to meet didn't meet him, and he became quite angry about that. That made some that threats, did, right? That yes, he, yeah. Uh, so that whilst we didn't particularly use that as any sort of evidence, yeah. that right. got highlighted by the media back in Australia because they right. Could, uh, see the information. So. I think it's safe to say he was a prolific offender, though, oh, in the way he would have spent his hours when he wasn't at work um, on the internet. Right. Wow. Offending of some sort. Yeah. yeah, I'm still I'm still mind boggled on the highway search. Of Was there some tip that made you think that something got tossed out or was there a, a pin on a get, map because of a cell phone or anything like that, that? We did get some information from his younger son that had traveled with him. Oh, okay. Uh, and, um, and that did lead us to doing some searches in South Australia and in Victoria so okay. we recovered clothing and shoes and um, some other items that were discarded uh, on another beach oh, near really? where they lived in Victoria right uh, but we did do quite an extensive search would have the, I mean the search area would have covered more than two kilometers you know yeah, it was yeah, sure. of, but we, and we used our, our mounted division and and uh, okay and foot searches uh, and um, we did recover Carly's phone uh, wow. during that search, so that that was a really good find for us to be able absolutely. To that, and the resources—I mean, that's that goes to show the number of resources that go into something like this. You know that that it's a serious case, and and it demands some of the resources that that may not ordinarily get called out. But you know, no, there's certainly you know uh, some um, planning that goes into to getting a search like that undertaken, right. and um, you know you you. 
not necessarily want to be sure you're going to find something, but if you think that information's right. good enough to, to right. spend that time uh, out yeah. there doing it, well, we certainly set about doing that. We couldn't really talk much about the phone, um, the pings and the investigation around some of the locations with the phone. Can you speak to that? Because I know you, you've spoken in your presentation about the uh, how kind of in detail that went and sort of helpful invest investigation information that that became right yeah that, look the phone the phone information was actually quite critical to to identifying uh, Gary and certainly um, uh, just underpinned how much contact there was between him and and he was a prolific phone user yeah and so each time he traveled from Victoria to um, South Australia so from his home to to Adelaide was uh, 800 kilometres, so oh, eight, wow. eight, eight plus hours. Yeah, um, he would be on that phone or on a number of phones, as we found out, can, you know, constantly. Yeah. So wow. we we're able to track his movements from wow from his home to Adelaide and back again. And this uh, is a different time. time. This isn't this isn't now where we have apps and all sorts of things. This is early on when smartphones were just a few years old. Or well, in fact, the they weren't, no, they weren't really smartphones. Yeah. Then. It yeah. Was, you know, you could send images and pictures, right. but they weren't uh, smartphones as we know them now. But but we could get good information from our um, telecommunication providers. So um, in this case, we did, and we, and we got uh, some, you know, critical information quite quickly as well, which really helped us. And our wow. listeners wouldn't have seen some of these presentation slides, but what we've seen is there were maps with information about where he had been and the, the location traveling that he had done correct yeah we we made up those um, uh, maps really to be an assist for the jury I mean they were really just points yeah. taken from the from the massive data that you get from a telecommunication company yeah right and it was just trying to give that a more simple, a glimpse yeah, simplified, yeah. <laughs> a layman's view uh, or something of that uh, right. version and and it was a good pictorial way to um, you know, give the the jury an image of well, here's the travel, here's a time, yeah. right? Uh, here we are, a couple of hours on. Here he is here, and, yeah. and, and think and eight hours driving step. to to where Carly was each time that he came over, or when he came down. I mean, that's that's a significant eight hours is a good travel time. I'm telling you to show you know with communication locations yeah. and such as that. What, what yeah. about? Um surveillance cameras or see, back then maybe CCTV kind of footage? Was there any success in locating anything that helped with the case? Uh, there, there were, we do have some traffic uh, cameras that log our truck movements. Oh, okay. Um, Even back then, that's, back then a, we that's had incredible. That log <laughs> truck movement. Uh, unfortunately, one wasn't working at the time. Uh, of course. But right. We did, of right, you but, would we <laughs> but there was one uh, quite close to where uh, Carly lived okay. that wow. we did get his vehicle going uh, through a couple of times. Interesting. Um, that we're able to, you know, to to use. So yeah. Well, you've since become. I mean, you're you're close with Sonia in that you have been a part of this, you know, journey. I guess with her for ten plus years. Um, and so can you talk a little bit, I mean, the, first of all, the strength that Sonia has to be able to do yeah. what she does with the Carly Ryan Foundation and taking this tragedy and turning it into something positive and, and hope for other kids. But what are you doing after, you know, this investigation closes and the, the jury reaches a verdict? What Talk about a little bit of, of the legislation reform and some of the things that you've been involved in as it goes on. 
Uh, well, firstly, I mean, it's a remarkable, remarkable effort by Sonia to um, to be able to uh, yeah. pick herself up after after something like this. You know, such a tragic um, a tragic thing to happen. Something you just wouldn't, you know, you, you wouldn't wish on anyone. And right, um, it, it's, uh, it's. I'm sure it's. Um, you know, it's still difficult for her today to, you know, to yeah. just move through, move through what happened back back then. Even though it's, you know, quite some time ago. So, um, uh, yeah, a, a remarkable effort is the best right. way I can describe it. Um, yeah. And then to to uh, to decide that you need to um, do something to try and prevent this from happening again—that's even uh, yeah. uh, right. uh, more special, I think. So, yeah. Um, uh, setting up the foundation and then uh, getting out in, into the schools and um, I, ha- I have gone uh, once before and spoken with Sonia at a school uh, but there's some difficulties in having Sonia and, and me speak together and uh, right. part of that is some of the things that I might talk about yeah. um, that Sonia p- doesn't really want to go over again right um uh, and that's and totally there's understandable a a, there's a bit of a fine line even when you're talking to to um you know young adults at, at yeah. schools about what you can and can't say but there's still some things that Sonny might not want well and that's something about. that i mean we under we know where when they present together there are presentation there there's a significant portion of the presentation that Sonia steps out for and doesn't want to listen to because right. understandably this was her daughter and and she doesn't want to hear some of the the things that her daughter had to endure, um, and so she steps out, and you tell some of the investigative points, not obviously for gratuitous sharing of information, but to inform and educate law enforcement on how these cases might need to be worked. Um, but yeah, I could see the difficulty, and and certainly in school situations. But it seems like the education branch of the Carly Ryan Foundation in Australia is just they are. They are working all the time and going into schools and talking with young adults about their safety online. And, and so can you speak that, about that effort there? Look, that, that Connect program started really with Sonia going to the schools just herself. Yeah. Right. Uh, and um, she very quickly found she was inundated with with the request to go and speak, can at, speak at schools to the point that she, she really couldn't keep up. So yeah. um, she was able to start, start a board, board up. Uh, and uh, and then start to enlist help to be able to set up that connect program to have right. young people go out and present that message that Sonia had been doing for for so long. Yeah, uh, well, and, and that's Project that, Connect, which is what she's going to be bringing to the U.S. Yeah. as well, right? That's correct, and and right. it's uh, worked out to be a fantastic program. Yeah. So uh, one question I have is regarding the legislation that got enacted once um, Sonia got on that crusade to do that. How much of a benefit, I think I know the answer to this, but maybe for our listeners' benefit, based on what the law was at the time when uh, this took place, and once that reform came through, obviously it had to be a big help, uh, a significant help, but can you talk about that at all? Well, well, there was no real legislation you know, around 2000, well, until 2017 when it was right. introduced, that dealt with, um, dealt with uh, uh, that that startup of offending, you know, mm-hmm. that that contact at the beginning, right? Yeah. Uh, so before something more serious happens, so right. there wasn't really any legislation that covered that. So this legislation definitely filled that that void, right? Um, and you know, if you misrepresent yourself and misrepresent your age to a minor, 
right. and then it uh, put in place some uh, some offence and uh, okay. some penalties. So it, and so meant, you, uh, it meant something could yeah, take yeah. place so early on. Are there any examples? Uh, I know you've been retired now, but as you left Put, after putting the legislation, you on the spot, huh? Yeah, no, I'm just saying, like, where there was you were able to intervene at that beginning level that may have prevented what happened with Carly. Uh, I look, I only know from media reports that it, that the yeah. legislation has been has been used and right. and has you know there's been intervention before people have. Yeah, um, been able to commit more serious uh, offences. That's, so in, that's so incredible, it has, though. It I has mean, been used. Yeah, it's yeah. a preventative measure that that even stops. I mean, and I think that's something that um, was so striking when Sonia spoke with us about. She right. doesn't even believe it. Like her goal is to prevent something from ever happening. Obviously, that sounds really e- you know like of course everyone wants that, but until you hear someone say that, like. It's not enough just to respond to incidents that have happened. She wants to prevent a kid from ever being harmed in the first place, which is sort of groundbreaking. You know, we we as police tend to be more reactive to things, and and she's uh, uh, I think she's working to try and just keep kids from ever being contacted to begin with, which yeah. is what we all want, obviously. You know, but but the belief that a child, if we can prevent that harm to begin with. We prevent the trauma, the need for restorative healing, and things like that to even occur. Right? Yeah. Look, it's always it's nice now to have something that's actually you can look at legislation that you could say is proactive. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so, so there is. Sorry, whilst there's still you know a an offending element to it that, that would have happened. Right. Yeah. Um, you're cutting off something way more serious if you can. Uh, but what a legacy too, because you did play. I would imagine a significant role in helping shape what that legislation might be. Oh, look! Uh, <laughs> He's going to be humble I, here. I'm not, no, I'm not going to yeah. claim any, any no, anything in relation yeah. to that. I know I spoke. You know, Sonia would yeah. send me material, and I'd read read through yeah. it and give you know what little um, opinion I could. But well, we'll give they, we'll they give credit where credit. The, Sonia speaks about John very highly, and so we know from talking to Sonia that John is an important part of this this investigation he was an important part of the the process um and i think has been a close confidant with with sonia so we want to give you credit where credit's due and the, the great work you did so very impressive that. very very impressive uh i think that we've stolen a lot more of your time than you have to give because <laughs> you're you're a busy man here i've watched uh, sonia and john and a bunch of presenters walking by and going from presentation to presentation right. anything at the conference that you've seen or done or that you're looking forward to uh, in the coming days that you felt like is really good for you? Um, look, once once I get through our presentation today, <laughs> I will sit back and, and pick something else out to go, right. go and look at it. There is so much to go and see. So yeah. um, I, I've been to some sessions about how uh, um, law enforcement can interact with uh, social media and found that interesting given given. How, the how, how, how it could have been in 2007 might have yeah. been a yeah. bit easier for us yes. um, right. uh, doing that. So, yeah, I found that interesting. So, And this is your first time at the actual conference, yes, right? Yes, it is. Yeah. yeah. I mean, what do you think with the, the spread? <laughs> and It's unbelievable, oh. isn't it? Well, he had to get over the, the jet lag from traveling right. first, so I'm sure the first day was a blur. Uh, oh, look, it is... Uh, 
the size of the conference is just uh, yeah. monumental. Yeah, uh, yeah. really. It's uh, I, I knew it was a, a large conference. But sure. Once you actually hear in person, seeing really uh, puts it in perspective. Does fifty six hundred people, twenty nine countries, and three floors of a rather large conference yes. center. So it's yeah. quite a quite a yes, quite an undertaking. Yeah. <laughs> Well, it's an honor to meet you. It's an honor to talk to you. We obviously know about everything, um, you know, sort of peripherally, but it's it's really tremendous to give us a little bit of time. And I, I think our listeners will greatly appreciate it because we got, uh, you know, a lot of comments and a lot of, you know, interaction just by highlighting the story itself which we probably didn't do any justice to, but we tried very hard to... to <laughs> we, we would have called you to do the whole thing, <laughs> um, but I think you were busy somewhere. Yeah, right. uh, it is a great honor to say that we've met you and um, can know you a bit and kind of speak to you about the work you've done. We we do appreciate that. Uh, thank you very much. So, nice. Good to have you. a chat, Brandon and Tony. Really, yeah. Really appreciate it. It's a pleasure chat. to speak with you. Thank you for sitting down, taking a moment. Yeah, and Looking Enjoy the rest to, of the conference. <laughs> to see in the presentation. All right. Thank, Thank you. Thank you for listening to the Catfish Cops podcast, brought to you by Brandon Poor and Tony Godwin. For additional information and available resources, please visit our website, www.catfishcops.com, and click on the resources link.